Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the struggles of factor-based investing strategies, particularly value and momentum over the last decade. While some may be questioning the effectiveness of factor strategies, it's far too early to write off commonly used factors like value and momentum. But dealing with these periods of relative underperformance can be tough for many investors, which is also something we discuss. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. The last 10 years have been really interesting for factor-based investors. Obviously, factor investing, which comes out mostly out of the academic world, has a lot of long-term research and robustness behind it. Um, But as you wrote about in an article just from a few weeks ago, and the title of that article is Some Thoughts on the Struggles of Factor Investing in the Past Decade, you know, you sort of were talking about how a lot of these factors actually haven't worked that well, particularly since the financial crisis. Um, So things like value, momentum, and we'll sort of talk about this, but these factors have really struggled quite significantly. So maybe just to start, do you want to... um, I guess, flush that out a little bit more, and then we'll get into, I think, some of the reasons why it'd be way too early to discount the effectiveness of factor-based investing um, at this point. Yeah, you know, it was a really tough decade for factor investing. You know, if you if you look at the factors and you sort of rank them in terms of their excess return over the long term, the t- at the top of the pyramid is going to be value and momentum. And if you look at both of those factors in the past decade, both of those had negative excess return. So if you bought the cheapest stocks and shorted the most expensive stocks, or if you bought the highest momentum stocks and shorted the lowest momentum stocks, in both cases, over the course of the decade, you had a negative return. Obviously, value was worse, but both of them were bad. And so that can lead a lot of factor investors to question what they're doing. If, if the two major factors that have the most evidence to support them did, did the worst you know, and, and underperformed over the course of a decade, that can lead a lot of people to question what they're doing. Now, it wasn't a completely terrible picture for factors in the past decade. Quality had a positive premium um, and low volatility was actually the best. That had the most significant positive premium. But those two at the top of the pyramid struggled the most. And so the point of this article was to take a look at that and say, what can we learn from the past decade? And should we be questioning you know, whether these things will even work going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these factors obviously are used a, you know, a lot in investment products now. So there you know, could be an issue of some overcrowding happening. Um, that's one of the theories as to why maybe some of these factors have become less um, effective over time. But as you, I think, pointed out in the article, we would need a lot longer period than a decade to make the conclusion that these factors aren't effective anymore. That's right. So if you look at the long-term round number out there, if you want to say there's 100 years of data supporting the factors. Well, if you have 100 years, how many years is it going to take before I can say definitively this factor no longer works? And Corey Hofstein of Newfound Newfound Research did a piece on this a while back where he looked at that. And what he found is for all of these factors, the amount of time it would take to say for sure that they don't work anymore is longer than most investors' lifetimes. And so if, if you want to use pure data to evaluate whether you should abandon a factor, you're not going to be able to do it because by the time you realize the factor no longer works, your investing lifetime is likely already over. 
And, and that's one of the challenges during these periods of struggle is you can't, you know, especially quantitative investors like me, I want to be able to, I want to be able to put this into a formula and I want to be able to say, all right, this is not working anymore. Here's my calculation to back it up. And you can't do that. You know, there, there's definitely some art to this on top of the science and you have to make some judgment calls on your own because the data is never going to 100% support you to say this factor is dead. So if that's the case, then, you know, how, how's an investor supposed to, what amount of time do you think an investor should give, you know, a factor-based strategy? I mean, is there any, and there, I, there's probably no like right answer here, but, you know, in your mind, you think it's something like at least 10 years or even maybe longer, which is tough. Yeah, you know, I used I used to think five years was a fit when I first started out was probably a fair period to evaluate investment strategy. Then I sort of over the middle of my career, you know, got to more like 10 years. And now you know, this is something Matt Faber's talked about a lot on his podcast. I think I agree with him. I think it's probably 20 years now. I think you probably should not be un getting involved in one of these factor based value strategies, at least for a significant portion of your portfolio, unless you're willing to sit through 20 years if it doesn't work. And, and we're seeing that right now. I mean, it, it might very well be values had a bad 10 year period. You know, value might very well have a bad 15 year period. So it just shows you how long these periods can go where it doesn't work. And if, and if you can't stay the course during those periods, you're not going to get, you know, the positive return when it, when it ends. Because one of the things about these factors is when they do come back, they can come back in very short periods of time. And so you can have to sit through these huge periods of pain and then all the benefit might come in a very short period of time. And so if, if you're waiting to hop back on the factor when it's back in favor, you may be too late. You, know, you may miss a lot of those gains. And so that's the hard part about this is, you know, it, you probably do need 20 years to evaluate one of these things. And you have to sit through really long periods in order to enjoy what can be very short periods where it does very well. Right. Like if you take the value factor, which is the one that's easy to talk about, and you go back basically 20 years, that's going to put you in the late 90s, which the late 90s were terrible, terrible time for value. Um, that was the internet boom and value stocks were trailing, you know, um, growth and momentum stocks significantly. But then starting in 2000, you had a huge catch up in value or reversion in value. And that was basically 2000 to 2007. Starting in 08 and 09, you know, that's when the financial crisis happened. And since then, value has largely underperformed. But maybe just to piggyback on your answer about how long you want to give a factor, you know, maybe you want to try to be uh, invested in the factor through multiple cycles or at least more than one cycle. Because I would say, you know, since 2009, we really haven't, there hasn't been a recession and there hasn't been a, there, there's been a couple of shallow bear markets, but, you know, you haven't seen um, a real bear market, particularly like in large cap stocks. So, you know, and we know, by looking at history that these factors have a cyclicality to them and they kind of can different things are, you know, major drivers of the performance. So if you believe, you know, with, with value, at least, you know, interest rates have, you know, some impact on the performance of value stocks as does inflation. So, you know, we've been in an environment with falling rates, uh, falling inflation basically since the financial crisis. So maybe what you'd want to see is once this cycle ends and the next cycle begins, if value continues not to work, then that's obviously problematic. But I think probably the odds would suggest that, you know, value will have a better uh, period of performance once some of these trends that have happened since the great financial crisis start to reverse themselves. 
Yeah, and that gets at a piece Dan Rasmussen had, uh, Verdad had fairly recently, and they talked about the performance of value. And what they found is a lot of the outperformance of value comes in and around these recessions. And as you said, you know, in the past decade, since the financial crisis, we really haven't had a recession. And we, we've had low rates, we've had low inflation, and so you may, you may not have had a period where you would expect value to do very well. And, it, and as you said, it's very important to see different types of markets. Because if you have a market that's very similar for a very long period of time, one factor might be out of favor. And, and you know, another important point about what you talked about is you looked at that last 20-year period. And value has not done horribly over that 20-year period, but if you look at where the outperformance of value came, it came in that 2000 to 2003 period. So if you look at a 20-year period, you really got almost all of your outperformance you got from value during that period over three years. And then you had all these other years where you don't get your outperformance. And that's what I was talking about before is a lot of times the outperformance can come in very short bursts, very short periods of time. And so if you were not in value at the end of, you know, in 2000, at the end of the dot-com bubble, and you were not in there till the 2003 period, you know, you've done really badly with value over that 20-year period. One of the other things you talk about in your article is like this sliding scale in terms of factor strategies, how you can have kind of like focused or what I would call, I guess, concentrated factor exposure. Or, um, and then you can have more diluted factor exposure, which is maybe a larger portfolio of stocks or maybe um, fundamentally weighting an index towards like value or quality, something like that. So, um, you know, and I think what you were trying to sort of drive home there was for investors, it's really important that they they choose what, if they're going to, you know, be a factor investor, they're really, they need to focus on getting the portfolio that is the best fit for them that they have the best chances of sticking with. Right. So the best portfolio for any investor is the one that they can stick with. And so if you look at the underperformance of value over the past 10 years, if, if you were invested in an aggressive focused value strategy, you probably have very, very bad performance relative to the market. But most people shouldn't be invested in those types of strategies. You can still take advantage of value, maybe not as much over the long term, but you can still take advantage of value by having a more diversified portfolio. Or you can take advantage of, of value by simply owning the S&P 500 and reweighting it based on value. And, and if you did that, you're much likely to more likely to be able to stick with it than if you have the focused approach. Because the reweighted S&P 500 based on value is not going to deviate that much from the S&P 500. And so you're more than likely going to be able to stick with that. Whereas if you take the 30 stock focused deep value portfolio, that can be 20% behind the S&P in a given year. That can have huge deviations from the S&P. You could argue based on evidence that that's going to probably produce the better long-term return because it has more exposure to the factor. But the ride and the pain to get there is going to be really, really hard. And so it, it's important for everybody to figure out where they sit on that scale and to get a portfolio that's appropriate for them because it's a very small minority of people that should be sitting in these, you know, 50 stock and less focused value portfolios. For the people that can do it, they can get a lot of benefit, but the vast majority of people aren't going to sit through decades where they have this kind of underperformance. So if you want to in invest in factors, which many people maybe shouldn't at all, many, most people can probably index and, and be perfectly fine, but if you want to invest in factors, you can do it with slight tilts. You can do it with diversified portfolios. You don't have to do it with this aggressive exposure that's very hard to stick with. Okay, those are all good thoughts. Um, so as we look out into the next decade, it's with factors, it's probably difficult to predict exactly what's gonna happen with factor investing. I think some out there think that factors have become too crowded and their premiums will probably be lower or even disappear entirely in the future. 
Um, there's others like us, I think, that think that what's happened in the past decade, particularly with factors like value momentum, is more of an anomaly and that those things will probably um, reverse and revert to their long-term mean. Um, would you agree with sort of uh, that view? Yeah, you know, in, in general, I think the evidence still supports factor investing. And I, and I think, you know, when you look at the long-term period of testing that's been done on factors, I, I think it supports, you know, continuing to use a factor approach. And, and for me as a contrarian, when I see the two factors that have the strongest historical evidence to, to support them doing poorly over a decade in momentum and value, I feel pretty good about using those factors in the next decade. And that, that's not to say I have any idea when they're going to turn around. But I would say typically if you look in the past and you look at decades where value has struggled and you owned value for the next decade, you did pretty well. And I would feel the same way about momentum. So I would think I, I feel like it's a good opportunity for people who invest in factors if you have a really long-term time horizon and if you can do what we talked about you know, in, in the article and what we talked about in this interview, which is if you can stay the course no matter what and, and you can tough through these hard periods, I, I would say the next decade might be a great opportunity for factor investors. Like you said, hopefully the next decade will be filled with less pain and more premium. So, so. With, with that, we'll uh, wrap up this discussion. So thank you everyone for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJCarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.